The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has been locked, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I also say to you, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the Gospel of the Lord. So I hate birds. It's a thing you should know about me. I mean, I like them, I guess, and that they're pretty, and I like the songs that they sing, but I really hate their shifty, beady eyes a lot, and I really hate their clawed feet. I'm not ashamed to admit to you <clears throat> that I laugh every single time a bird crashes into our picture window, which is quite often, sorry, but I do, silly birds, I always mutter, purposely forgetting those times when I run into doors. That's different. After all, I am not a bird. One time when the boys were toddlers, I took them to the Niabi Zoo in Coal Valley, Illinois. We went into the aviary house. For a dollar, you could buy a cup of nectar in order to feed the birds. I bought a cup, and I stooped down by the boys to wait for the birds to come. As the birds came, they kind of swarmed, which made me panic. And so I spilled the cup of nectar all over the arm of the lady next to me, who then screamed because all the birds started landing on her. So I yelled, run, to the boys, and we got the hell out of there. It was very traumatic. Do you remember this, Christian? Yeah, he's still, he's still marked by the trauma of that. It does not escape my love for irony that at the precise time of drafting this sermon, there is a nest of exactly three baby robins right outside our kitchen window, nestled in a hanging pot of geraniums. I've been watching them closely through binoculars, because according to Wikipedia, baby robins fly the nest 13 days after hatching, which should be any day now. I alternate between watching the mama bird fly back and forth to feed these growing and hungry birds, finding myself empathizing with her endless work to keep their bellies full, and the three little birds. As they grow, their nest 
seems smaller and smaller, and they tumble over each other, pecking at each other a bit as they take turns fluffing their feathers and stretching their wings. It reminds me of the times when the boys were little and they would wrestle on a bed or on the couch and how over time beds and couches seemed to shrink in proportion to their growing bodies. One bird is ready to fly and he struts to the edge of the nest, flutters his wings and then sinks back down into the nest exhausted and screams for his mom to bring him food. I'm captivated by this drama and I watch the nest as often as I can, but I find myself vacillating between wanting to witness the moment when they fly and wanting to be spared the moment when the nest becomes empty. Of course, you get the metaphor that I'm working here. I'm not very transparent. <laughs> I hear echoes in my own mind of Bob Marley's song, Three Little Birds, catapulting me back to times when I was actually able to hold all three boys in my arms at the same time and sing and dance to that song. However, lest I wax too nauseatingly sentimental, let's get back to my hatred of birds and how this connects to the gospel. If at all, maybe I just wanted to tell you about that nest. So the closer that the baby birds get to leaving the nest, the more vigilant and aggressive mama and papa become. They keep a tight perimeter around their young, securing a space around the nest to ensure a safe first flight. Dad, especially, is very aggressive. I do not care for him. The other night, I was grilling on the porch, and the dad got so angry with my presence, he kept dive-bombing me, squawking loudly with his chest feathers all puffed out. While the mom sat with her young, looking insultingly smug, the dad relentlessly swooped and screeched at me. I guess he came to within about two feet of my head when I screamed for Jake to come protect me, who was visibly unimpressed with me and brought out his BB gun and plopped down onto the porch sofa and did not shoot the birds but shot near the birds so that his mommy could finish grilling ribeyes. While I was horrified by this bird's acts of aggression, I also understood completely. He was protecting his young ones and he would be as relentless as he needed to be in order to keep me at bay and keep them safe. I admire that. It is prayer that connects this bird descriptive, which I hope was as amusing for you as it was cathartic for me, and our reading from Luke. First, let me come clean. I've never liked this gospel. It's uncomfortable because deep down, we sense both the tension and the reality in this gospel, at least we should, because we know not all prayers can be answered the way we want them to be answered when we want them to be answered. Some prayers aren't even answered at all. And yet, in our gospel, Jesus says, ask it and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Well, I have plenty of prayers that have either gone unanswered or have been answered in ways I neither recognize nor appreciate. I have asked for many things I have not received. I have knocked on many doors that have remained shut. And I'll wager the same is true for you. The tension here in this gospel 
is that in one breath we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, and then in the next breath we pray for my kingdom to come, my will to be done, which usually consists of a litany of things I want God to do on my behalf or a list of things I want God to give me. This gospel is difficult because what if you are praying for something I don't want? What if I'm praying for something you don't want? Both sides of a prayer cannot be answered. A month before his assassination in his second inaugural address, Abraham Lincoln said of the Civil War, both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both cannot be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Each side prays for victory, but only one can win. Each team prays to win, but somebody has to lose. Each case prays for justice, but there's only one favorable verdict. In our world, people pray for both racial justice and white supremacy. Russians pray to win the war. Ukrainians pray to win the war. Poor people pray for their fair share, and wealthy people pray for economic dominance. Israelis, Palestinians, both beg God for justice. Indigenous nations prayed for protection for their land, and European settlers prayed for conquest. Axis and allied powers both invoked God's power in World War II. So we see, we know, that all prayers simply cannot be answered. Some things are asked for and not received. Some doors remain closed, no matter how loud the knock. It makes no sense, then, to pray for God's will to be done, only to turn around moments later and try to impose my will on God, disguised as prayer. And it's problematic to think of prayer as a one-way wearing down of God's will so that my will might prevail. So when I watched the daddy bird swoop at me on the porch the other day, it occurred to me that prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. God is doing more in prayer than simply doling out answers and rewards like prize trinkets at a carnival. God is also coming at us like that papa bird kept coming at me, giving as well as receiving, offering glimpses and visions of God's will and God's kingdom. The New International Version gives a really great translation of verse 8 in today's gospel, if you want to take a peek at it. Instead of the word persistence, the NIV uses the phrase shameless audacity. How great is that? In this metaphor, it is only because of your shameless audacity that the friend gets up out of bed to give you bread. So we can't assume that it's always us asking, seeking, and knocking. You see, before identifying where we are in a biblical text, before we do that, we must first identify where God is. So then it's not always us asking, knocking, and seeking. God is also asking, knocking, and seeking, not just persistently, but with shameless audacity. God keeps coming at us with God's will, God's kingdom reality, like that bird. It was abundantly clear to me that day on the porch 
but that Papa Robin's persistence in swooping at me would far outlast any desire I had to stand at the grill in 95 degree heat. He would keep coming at me until I left him and his family alone. So whose will would prevail? The birds, of course, unless Jake shot him, which I clearly instructed him not to do. We can never underestimate the lengths someone will go to in order to save and protect loved ones, which is exactly what God accomplishes on the cross through the death of Jesus, who died to save us, we who are weak and shivering in our nests. As in any dialogue, we do our part. We do. We pray to God. We come at God with petitions on behalf of our world, our community, the sick and dying, and ourselves. But the dynamic miracle here is that God is not a statue. That God is coming back at us. With a shameless audacity we can't even fathom, God persistently comes at us, crying at us for justice for peace, for mercy, for forgiveness, for patience, for unconditional love, squawking with a loud cry and a puffed-out chest on behalf of the poor and the weak and the powerless. God shamelessly comes at us to feed the hungry, protect the weak, care for the earth. These things clearly are not our will. Our will is to marginalize and oppress. Nor is the will of God hidden or disguised as God comes at the world shamelessly and audaciously over the centuries and across all faiths. God's will is not difficult to decipher then. The problem only arises when we strategize how we might capitalize on it. Shameless audacity is my new favorite phrase. Mary Oliver wrote, I don't know how to pray, but I know how to pay attention. We sometimes think that prayers go unanswered or are angry when prayers aren't answered how we want them to be answered. But perhaps a more earnest and real prayer is simply for God to open our eyes to God's will as it is unfolding in the world around us so that we might participate in that unfolding will, not my will or yours, but God's will for the good of all creation. I'm not entirely clear what the theological trajectory is in the sermon. I know it's not tight. But truth be told, it's been a tough and difficult week for our family. As one of our dear friends who has also done extensive work on the big groves just took his own life on Thursday. So it seems my headspace has been occupied less with tight theological trajectories and more with observations and reflections such as, I pray that God keeps coming at me with the same shameless audacity that that papa bird did. I pray that God opens my eyes so that I might pay attention to the weak and vulnerable ones that God, in God's shameless audacity, is trying to protect. I pray that when I beg for bread, God does not give me a scorpion. I pray that when others beg me for bread, I do not give them a scorpion. I pray that I recognize when I am trying to impose my will on God. I pray that God does not forgive my sins as I forgive others, because sometimes I'm pretty sucky at forgiving other people. At this point in writing the sermon, the first bird flew. 
By the second edit of this sermon, the second bird had flown. By third edits, the third bird had flown. I saw the mama bird return a few minutes later with a worm in her beak, but there was no one left to feed. While I was elated to have seen the baby birds take flight, my heart broke watching that mama bird. It was like peering into a crystal ball and seeing me five years from now, standing there alone in my kitchen holding a lasagna, <laughs> wondering where my baby birds had gone. I guess you can come over and eat it then with me. The mama bird quickly got over it. However, she dropped the worm and she flew off. I hope she found a spa somewhere. She deserved it. I pray for all who stand perched on the edge of their nest, terrified to fly. I pray that you might know the shameless audacity and love that God has for you, that God will stop at nothing to keep you safely nestled in God's kingdom, no matter who you are. I pray that God keeps coming at humanity persistently and infinitely squawking with puffed chest with loud cries of kingdom love and grace. If you find this bird imagery to be scary, I suggest you find your own Jake to sit by your side as kingdom proclamations echo across porches and yards and canyons and galaxies as God swoops at you audaciously. Even though I know that Jake is my next bird to fly the nest, preceded by Christian, succeeded by Philip, for now he's here. And my prayer is one of gratitude and thanksgiving and also protection as he begins to stretch his wings and prepare for flight. He knows that even though he's six foot two and 235 pounds, if anyone hurts him, I'm coming at them with a mama bird's fury. Funny then. How God has imprinted God's will on us, one of shameless audacity, protection, and love. It's been quite a thing to watch these three little birds hatch and grow and fly in such a short time. I know they're out there flying around in the field behind our house, learning how to feed themselves, how to one day build their own nest. God's hand palms them aloft wherever they fly. Each bird is precious in God's sight. Even though their beady eyes and scaly feet make me nervous, they sing God's wordless song of creation. Robert Frost writes that birds learned how to sing from Eve back in the garden, that she was in their tone and in their song. Never again would, would bird song be the same, and to do that to birds is why she came, he wrote. I will miss watching their squeaking little beaks poke out from the potted geraniums, but at least I got my grill back. Amen. <laughs>